Welcome to the Crown Council's Mentor of the Month podcast. I'm Stuart Anderson. This Mentor of the Month program has been part of the Crown Council since the very beginning. And uh, we believe that in order to copy the genius of others, you've got to be willing to ask and talk to them. Last year, the wettest tropical cyclone on record hit the Houston metropolitan area. It was uh, Hurricane Harvey right at the end of August of 2017. It was the first major hurricane to make landfall in the U.S. since 2005. And this is in, it ended up costing $125 billion in damages. Um, one of our Crown Council members was at Ground Zero in Houston the night the hurricane hit. That's Dr. David Montz. And uh, in this Mentor of the Month, he shares with Greg and I some incredible stories and his experiences. And I loved uh, hearing about his leadership and willingness to serve others in the face of danger. I hope you uh, enjoyed as well. We could have gone on and on, uh, but uh, we kept it short and let him share some of the most important things that he um, wanted to share. So uh, for those who don't know, the Crown Council is an international association of leading dental teams dedicated to seeking out and sharing best practices in order to improve the quality of care in every area of dentistry. This program, the Mentor of the Month, is just one of the many resources available to members to help them create a culture of success in their practices. If you like this content, there's so much more inside Crown Council, uh, hundreds and hundreds of uh, different resources available to you and years worth of the Mentor of the Month program skill training videos, powerful team meetings. Uh, it can all be accessed through the Crown Council website at www.crowncouncil.org. So on with the Mentor of the Month. Hope you enjoy. Thanks. Okay, welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month. This is Stuart Anderson. I've got uh, Greg Anderson with me and Dr. David Montz as well. So that's the three of us today. Get excited. <laughs> and uh, the, the reason we're talking with Dr. Montz is last year, or I guess this year at the annual event, his team was awarded Team of the Year, and there's a huge story behind that. Um, last year in Texas, there was a, a, a few days when 50 inches of rain fell and over 19 trillion gallons of water, um, and Dr. Montz watched his team do something remarkable, and we are here to talk about that. They, they spent four days managing a shelter, serving uh, nursing home residents, uh, taking care of each other, volunteering, uh, working at their own office to, to, to save their own office, uh, and this crisis uh, brought them together in a way that I think this quote, I'm going to read this quote, can kind of tell it best. Uh, one of David's team members said this, this is seriously the best family ever to work with. I am truly grateful for each and every one of them. How can a dental practice be so little about clinical dentistry and so much about people? When your team understands that we take care of each other first and the awesome byproduct is a stellar patient care, now that is a beautiful thing. They're gonna to have to bury me here because these people, the doctors, assistants, and hygienists, and administration, they rock my world. So um, please welcome Dr. David Montz. And uh, we're gonna 
we're going to just turn the time over to you, David, and and uh, maybe set the stage of who you are, what your team is like, and then um, and then maybe tell us how it all started. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, this is a story that I love to talk about and uh, share all the uh, fantastic. Uh, incredible awesome weather situation we had here in houston Texas, <laughs> about a year ago almost a year ago not quite coming up on it it is hurricane season again so we always get a little jittery but uh last last august when this all went down it was just a typical nice week kids just got back into school everybody's just humming along with that transition back in and there's a hurricane coming towards texas and i've lived here all my life and I've seen these things come through and, and challenges a few times, but most of the time they're just either big wind makers or tropical storm-like rain makers. And this one, because I'm on the school board here in, in Houston, Texas, and in Friendswood, Texas, where I live, I was getting a lot of really good intel from the local county people saying this could be a huge rain-making storm. Well, as I've heard these, you know, hyped up news things before, we didn't really take it as seriously as I could have personally. And um, my team and I, we just, you know, we did the things we typically do for a Friday. We shut things down, we picked all the trash up, we closed down and didn't make any other accommodations, anything special. Uh, because the day before all this went down, August the 26th on a Saturday night, uh, everything was just fine. The weather was actually beautiful on Friday, with and the storm had hit Rockport, Texas, I think, that Thursday night, and lingered over central South Texas. So me and my team of two other dentists and 25 staff members, you know, did our thing, went home for the weekend. And um, most people, as the story goes, when you talk to people from around here, that that weekend, we're, we're all settled in their nice location to watch the McGregor-Mayweather fight. All right. <laughs> it was going on, and um, I was you know, three and a half miles from my house, and we were watching the, we were trying to watch the fight. We saw some of the preliminary fights, and next thing you know, rain got worse and worse and worse, and what happens when it rains? You lose satellite. And then all your phones started going off with all these emergency alert systems, and the rest is history, as they say. It became very, very chaotic with nonstop spigot-like rain just coming down in buckets and buckets and buckets. And from a time period that it started, I could not get home that night. It was, it was 30 minutes when that kind of started and I was flooded. The roads were flooded in my community where I could not get home, me and my wife. And uh, not to go too deep into that personal story, unless you want me to, I can share sure. that. I can yeah, share yeah. That. Well, I'll, I'll keep it brief because there's a whole lot to tell you in about 45 minutes or so. But um, we ventured out anyway because my wife was terrified. She wanted to get home. And it was very difficult to see in the rain. And the roads in, in our good community really had already had water standing on them. We actually made it down one street less than a mile from my friend's house heading back towards my home. And we went through about two feet of water in my F-150 pickup truck, and that was the highest water I had ever driven through, not thinking enough to know, because the, the saying around Houston is turn around, don't drown. Well, we didn't turn around. We kept going, because I knew the roads I, and, and got through that, but ever since that time, 
my wife was pretty petrified about the whole experience. So we stayed on high clear roads from that point out. And at, mind you, I'm two miles from my house at this point, looking for different ways and access points to get home. My community of Friendswood, Texas has about four major creeks that run through the town. It's a very wooded creek uh, systemed little town that empties out into the Galveston Bay and then Galveston Bay into obviously Gulf of Mexico. So when things fill up fast in the creeks, the roads can't handle much because it's a very flat community. There's no hills here like in Utah. <laughs> things are very flat. So we ended up making it to the middle of town after exhausting every possible way to get back home. And we decided to find high ground because even our main street was underwater about two feet and parts of it were blocked because cars in front of us, water was already up to above the hood. And I'm in a truck and I know better. I'm not going to be going through water that's as high as a car hood. So we, we, we stuck on high ground and we waited it out thinking the rain would stop and kept listening to news reports, but everything was truly flash flood. Everything was so fast, little warning. Everybody was caught with no to little warning to either be home or you're in trouble. So about, I'd say 10 people did the same thing we did. They found high ground at the library parking lot right in the middle of town. It was um, very high, very lit up. And we waited there for three hours. And this, by that time, it was about 1.30 in the morning, maybe two o'clock in the morning. And we recognized on the radio that the local senior center uh, was, was opening up by the city of Friendswood to accept shelter. And they made that a, an official Red Cross shelter um, at the moment just to get people a high place to go. So my wife and I said, hey, let's just go there. It's literally across the street, one block away. We can get there. Let's go help out. So we went there, and it was people I recognized from the city. There's a couple of them and his wife, and they were just putting out everything and anything they could supplies-wise to accept all these rescuees. People were just getting there by every which means they could. Wow. And private citizens were boating them in to at least a point where they could get there and get dry and just have a place to stay. Um, there was no warning uh, like you would see in a like a, a, a tornado siren of any sort, nothing like that. And everything was getting fast out of hand. When I got there, there was 10 people in the shelter and my friend James and I were setting up cots and handing out seafold paper towels and water that they had in the facility because it's, it's a senior center. It's not a shelter sort. By the time it was about an hour and a half later, there were about 60 people there and about 40 dogs and cats. And it was getting very packed and very, uh, very irritating because the mood was somber. The rain to this point, guys, it, it had not stopped. It had not stopped since the Meriwether McGregor preliminary uh, fights were happening from the moment we left my friend's house. Still like a spigot. It was a spigot. It was nonstop. I mean, if you've ever seen a waterfall, it looked like a giant waterfall which just would not turn off. There was no break. There was no lull. Many of the times these storms in, in tropical rainstorms, there will be bands of rain that will just kind of come and go. It'll be soft. It'll be heavy. It'll be soft. 
this was a continual trailing that they call our training effect of, of, of rain that just, it pounded for, for hours and it, and it had no let up. And um, all of our creeks in our town had been managed very well since previous floods in the past dictated that drainage control. We have drainage districts that, that keep everything clear and, and spaced out. Don't think of a creek or a natural creek like in Utah that has trees and rocks and right. these, are, these are pretty much managed, government controlled, mowed and shapely nice creeks with a lot of beauty and so forth, but they're large that we've, we've done this before with her previous storms. So long story short, as I see the people trickling in and we're running low on, supply, on supplies, uh, I recognize the assistant fire chief. Jeff came in and says, David, what are you doing here? I said, well, I got stranded, told him my short story. He goes, well, you wanna go home? I said, sure. So my wife and I both agreed to get out and let him take us home. He had one of these raised up rescue vehicles you might see in pictures. Yeah. They call it a deucey or a deuce. And it was six and a half feet high off the ground, large tires, all the exhaust systems are, are, are allowed to go up high. So it really has a hard time stalling out or getting flooded. And they were bringing people back and forth with this. And he said, let's take you home. So my wife and I jumped in they did not have a cover on this thing, so they had this blue tarp. So <laughs> I was just wearing shorts and flip-flops and a t-shirt. And mind you, he said, now you're gonna get a little wet, but we'll get you home. I said, I don't care, I'll leave my truck here, let's just get home. My son is at home by himself. He's 18 years old, but he was there by himself. And he was fine. He, he, I think he probably slept through the original part of it. Uh, he was more upset because he couldn't get the fight because of the weather blacked out the satellite. My wife and I jumped in this thing. We all took off. I'm with the assistant fire chief. I'm with his son in the back, who's 25. And I'm with one of the sheriff deputies who were just happened to be doing these, these random deliveries. It was just barely organized as an effort at that point. Everybody, and whatever they could, whatever they could, as fast as they could. We go about 50 feet and, um, Next thing you know, he stops and says, hey, we just got a quick rescue call. Let's go get this guy real quick and we'll take you home. And while we're stuck in the back of this truck, we, we don't have any choice. He, we just decided to do what he had to do. And it was, again, pounding rain the entire time. We go into a neighborhood not two blocks over and we're going into water. We're driving into water. And by the time we get down into the street, I know where we're going because I know the town well, I'm in the back of the stroke of my wife and there's water lapping at our ankles. Ooh. And then it's lapping at our waist. And then all of a sudden he turns on to Providence, the street, and all of a sudden I feel and my wife feels that the truck is turning over. I felt we were doomed. We took the turn, water is up to our waist, the current is rushing fast. We thought the whole truck flipped over, but it happened to be the cushioned seating on the bench of what we're seating. And once we got our orientation, after losing a shoe or two and the ladder that got us in the back of the truck, we got situated and now we're up to belly button, sitting on this bench, we're up to belly button height, the full of water, as the current is racing down with ant mounds and wood and all kinds of debris. And so literally we're in the creek, but we're technically not even, we're about, 
I don't know, 200 yards or, or more from the real creek. And we get to this guy's house, and my wife is absolutely freaky now. And for, to save you guys time and emotion, I'm just going to say I've never seen my wife that way. She, she was petrified, scared. She looked like it was never going to ever, we're never going to ever get out of this. Oh. So I dealt with this for a while, and, and she, she has some previous experiences as a kid when she was nine years old it flooded in Friendswood, Texas. Her parents were not home and water flooded her house. She, so she had a little PTSD uh, from the way in the past. And this would be 40 years ago. So it was really fresh in her mind that we weren't gonna make it out of this. We get to this guy's house, they throw him a rope. Uh, it's pounding rain. We see the house across the street with water up to the roof already. And we are sitting in the back of this truck, six and a half feet off the ground, and water's up to my stomach. And the current is going by like you can't imagine. We hear explosions in the background, which are transformers blowing. We hear lightning popping left and right. And mind you, it's still raining like that waterfall you see. And it, it just wouldn't stop. The guy we rescued grabs the rope, pulls himself up to the truck. He probably weighed about 300 pounds. Oh. He, suitcase with him on top of his head my wife's like going screw the suitcase leave it there get you butt in here before you drown because the current's taking him away from the truck so it takes four people to pull this guy up to the truck he finally grabs onto the side of the truck and mind you i'm watching all this standing up trying to help direct and look for things that might hurt him and as soon as all this is done, he gets to the truck. Everybody's kind of relieved. The truck engine dies. Oh, my God. The truck engine dies. So naturally, all of us look at one another going, all right, just start this thing back up again. Well, that wasn't going to happen. So all the attention on this gentleman caused the truck to stall. Now we are the victims. Now we're all going to have to be rescued. Luckily, we're with the assistant fire chief who has a walkie-talkie. So he calls and radios for help. It'll be about 45 minutes before a rescue boat oh is launched to come get us. Oh, my gosh. So a rescue boat finally comes about 45 minutes later. Mind you, still raining, things exploding. By then, the water is up to my lower chest in the back of his truck. And my wife, let's just say she is not herself. Um, it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. We had the big blue tarp over. She couldn't be comfortable seeing what was going on, and she felt claustrophobic being under that thing, and it was pounding, and, you know, she was hyperventilating. It was terrible. Long story short, because this is a long story, uh, <laughs> the boat launches into the back of the truck. We have to stand on top of the cab to get into the boat, upon which they mandate I, I wear a life jacket. I said, you know what? I don't Good think idea. I think it's a little too late for a life jacket. Just get us out of here. They take us up the road finally about a half a mile. That's all it was, about half a mile. And they let us out of the boat and they say, we'll be back. Just hang out right here. So we, we stood under some guy's house, uh, the, just the eve of the garage. And um, I happened to know the guy eventually because I, I knew I didn't know it was his house because it was so crazy that night. And we waited as more and more and more people showed up and they huddled all around us, kids, dogs, 
uh, you could see the despaired look on, on people's faces. There were people getting their kayaks to go rescue dogs and cats to go look for them. And, and, and the police kept bringing more and more people, just random citizens who had boats were already out and about trying to bring more people out. We finally got back to the shelter about two hours later. By then it's about 4.30 in the morning. And um, all 16 of us get off the, the, the Ducey rescue vehicle. This one is a, a good one, not in water. We left the other one behind, I guess. And my friend James, who I helped set cots up and seafold towels and water up earlier, he said, what the heck happened to you? Um, I said, well, we, we got into the flood a little deeper than we wanted to. We were supposed to go home and we went on a three hour tour into the floodwaters of, of Harvey. Um, so we hung out there, and by the time 5.30, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock rolled around that morning, there were about 120 people in that building, and a lot of dogs, and a lot of cats, and there were a few fights that broke out amongst some people who had just some emotional uh, problems dealing with all that, and it was terrible. It, it, it just, we, it couldn't have been more unorganized as far as helping these people, but they were safe, they were happy. We didn't have a lot to give them at that point because everything was so shut off and, and so cut off. And it had been nightfall the entire time and everybody was just trying to find a place to be. Well, I got home uh, that, that, that morning when daylight hit, I made some phone calls of people I knew around town trying to navigate a way to get home. The rain had let up by about seven o'clock, but it was still raining and it, it was water as far as you could see in certain directions and you had to know, uh, with seeing in the daylight, you could see the roads a little bit better than at night. Everything's pitch black at night. You know with headlights on a flooded road, on a black asphalt road, you can't see anything. You don't know how deep it is. You don't know any, any there's, there's nothing to really see. The mailbox or a sign would be the only orientation you would have to get home. So, I got home eventually. We, we actually got down a street, went down another street, went through some high water to get through. And I came upon the, the bridge to turn right, which my house is about half a mile down that street. And as soon as I came over the bridge of the creek, because the, the high point was the bridge, everything around the bridge was underwater. And I came across the other side of the bridge, it was a lake. And I'm talking, you saw everything you saw left to right were homes underwater, just everywhere. Oh left to right and it went on you could see a mile down the street it was just completely underwater and this kid walks by i'm out surveying how am i going to get home should i walk should i park my car here i want to get home see my house to make sure my son said it was okay but i wasn't certain how everything else around that was looking and my wife she wanted to get home so i don't blame her we all wanted to get home we were, we were tired we had been up all night we had been wet we've been muddy Mm. The creek stuff was all over us. Uh, the, it was just terrible. It's, it's a very silty feeling out of your underwear and your shoes and your socks and everything yeah. is just pinched. And you were cold. So this kid walks by, I know. His name was Kyle Ford. And he had a stick in his hand like Moses. And he had no shirt, no shoes. And he was walking. And I said, Kyle, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going home. It's three miles away. I said, well, good luck, man. And we were wondering what he was doing. So he started walking down my street. And next thing you know, I kind of looked and gauged his legs in the flood to see how, how that all looked if I could drive through it. And I, and I could. I navigated 
driving behind him by looking at the depth of the of the water uh, with his, uh, his his ankles and his and his calf muscles, and that let me get home. And sure enough, I got home, and uh, we were exhausted. It was about seven thirty in the morning, still raining, still raining. I, I jump in the shower, clean up real quick, make a couple of phone calls to my parents and friends. I I had said I made it home safely, and then I'm on the school board. My superintendent of schools calls and says, David, you home? Can you come up to the high school and open the shelter up for the cafeteria? Um, I need you now because I got to go check. I got to go check the schools and check things out. So of course I said, sure. Sure. And that was part one of that night, and I can give you many more details of of things that happened. I can break and let you have interject. <laughs> Oh, that was the beginning of that night. Did you, when, when did you first start reaching out to your team? Are, are, are calls coming in from them or what's going on with your team members? My team and I connected that, that, that morning, Sunday morning. Of course, you want to check on your parents. You want to check on my right. parents live in the town. You check on your neighbors. And then of course my team, we connected as a team that morning and I could not get a hold of most of my team, and nor could they get a hold of us. There was no electricity in some spots. Towers were down. Communication was was vague. The people that I could get in touch with, um, I know one had flooded. I knew a couple probably had flooded, and I was worried about them. But when the day went along, I heard more back from my team, and I had learned that eight eight people of our 25T people were affected. Uh, their car flooded out, they were trapped, or their home flooded, or they were displaced uh, because of whatever various power outage or whatever else. But we ended up having two main team members' homes flooded, one, both of them significantly, where they lost pretty much everything in the first floor of their home. Uh, one of them had an upstairs, so she was able to save some things. But it happened so fast, Stuart and Greg. It happened so fast, uh, so much rain with little warning at the worst possible time yeah. at 11 o'clock at night. And um, it was terrible. But with the, the team connected, finally we got a hold of everybody by Monday. That following Monday, well, I guess two days later, it, st it started raining again. And we knew we had to check things out. There was no way to get to the office. Neither office was pat was was able to get. No one could get there. The, the roads were impassable. There was just a bunch of islands everywhere. But once we connected somehow, some way, text, uh, phone, email, whatever we could we could manage, we found most people were doing okay and everybody was situated, although not happy. Um, everybody took it in stride, and we tried to just make sure everybody was accounted for and make sure that we all understood that we were closed for that day. Wow. It wasn't going to happen. I actually had two people go, are we complaining to work? I said, nope. Nope. You can't get there. And I doubt our patients can get there. So it was funny, though, that the commitment level was still there enough to ask that question. So, so, now, so now what? I mean, um, tell us kind of where you started to work and, and what happened. Um, and what happened at the shelter? Yeah, what happened? That's probably the biggest part of my story because that, that started, I, I showed up at 745 that morning, Sunday, and there were five people there. It was, it's our high school cafeteria. 
And it's, of course, it's a cafeteria. And I got there and Steve Rocky, who's our city councilman, was the first one there. Then I showed up and then there was five people who had just happened to be there because they were in the local neighborhood. They were looking for a place to be, to be dry. And I guess that's where the city started to bring people who could be on this side of, I call it this side of the, of the river, because it, it pretty much split the town in many directions. And we were one high spot. By the end of that night, as more and more people came in, um, and also for time purposes, I'll, I'll save you all the details, but that shelter was open for four days. And it started with five people and a basket full of towels from the, from the gym, boys' gym just to get people dry. By about midday, our school staff and some folks um, in the community rescued an, an entire nursing home in the community with school buses and boats. They had to use John boats and flat boats to individually take each and every nursing home patient from the facility. They were lined up in a hallway underwater because again, flash flooding is flash flooding. And they boated individually each one of these residents to the back of the school bus that could get there as, as close as it could get without getting underwater itself. And the, in bus by bus, they brought in 87 nursing home residents. And then nine, then nine more came in who were completely bedridden. And they had to be brought in on the big flatbed Ducey truck uh, in which we managed a makeshift nursing home facility in our cafeteria. Um, more and more people kept coming in throughout the day and more and more volunteers in the area who live close by we communicated with social media and anybody and everybody who could get stuff supplies blankets whatever food you name it to survive think of survival because we had nothing prepared for this we didn't have anything ready and willing to go but the call to action by the committee, I mean, by the, by the community and the high school kids and everybody in the community uh, that made that happen, it was phenomenal. It, it went from nothing to an incredibly organized effort by the end of that day. And the hardest part was those, those nursing home folks because they had dementia, they had medical needs, they had medicine needs, they had, uh, we had one guy that we didn't think was going to make it. And no one wanted to be faced with the whole thought process of someone dying in our high school. Uh, where would we put him? What would we do? Uh, there was nothing else to do. So lots of things on the fly. Supervision, myself and my school board president and our superintendent led the charge to organize the effort. We pretty much did a triage and we did uh, supplies listing. We did communications. We had to organize the effort so it would not become chaotic. And mind you, it's still raining the entire time. It rained Saturday night, Sunday, all day, Monday. Then a second round on Monday night into Tuesday made it even worse. It actually flooded again worse than it did Saturday night. Oh. And we didn't close the shelter down until Wednesday night when finally it stopped raining and things had gone down where the roads became passable. Wow. And our community drains great, but you can't take 50 inches of rain plus and expect it to, to drain that fast when everything else is bottlenecked up. The shelter was phenomenal though, Greg. It was a really humbling and um, I think everybody was so wiped out, but everybody had so much energy to help. The emotions were high. 
the, the kids came in from the high school, the kids of the community came in and worked and managed each individual nursing home patient one by one, whatever their needs were, fed them, changed their diapers, made, made, made attempts to contact loved ones, just supervising people in wheelchairs who had had dementia, who were wandering about. Uh, there's so many details that we're actually writing a book. <laughs> and, and the lady who finally came in, who is one of our EMS directors, she came in and helped manage the medical effort the next day. That first 24 hours, we had no medical supervision at all other than one nurse who lived in the neighborhood next door, myself, the dentist, and one physical therapy uh, person who had in, the, the staff of the nursing home did not come with the nursing home folks. Oh my gosh. We had no medical charts. We had no charts. We had no medicine. We had nothing. It was a clean Blake slate of 96 nursing home people. And we had to figure out who they were, what they were doing, what needs they had. And time was critical. We didn't see the nursing home staff at all until the next day. And only three of them came. Three. And the director. Oh my gosh. That's a whole other story though. I mean, that's, that's a whole other story. <laughs> it was a nightmare. So in it the end, uh, how, how did this affect your team? I mean, I, I gather that there was a, um, I mean, you have a great team anyway, but, but this had not only the damage, but uh, in terms of the unity and, and, and uh, the effect that it's had since. Well, like in every, every major disaster that happens, you see the best in people. You really do see the best in people. Quite frankly, the personal story of myself those first two days was all I could tell you from that first two days that I experienced because no one could connect at all. Yeah. Once we finally did connect, on, we, we finally met up at the office on Wednesday because no one could get anywhere. You're trapped. About seven to eight of us got to our office. Those folks who came on my team, they were not affected uh, personally. They had already been helping in their communities. They had already been tearing out sheetrock and helping other people. But once we could get to the office, we made a plan to come up. My team suggested that we take every bit of supplies we had in the office that was toothbrush, toothpaste, whatever it was that we could give away and they bagged it up. They spent the entire day Wednesday bagging this stuff up and then taking it to the shelters that they could reach. Sweet. My doctors and I worked on managing the facility to get the three holes in our roof that we had from major blowouts. If you think of all that rain on a flat roof, it, it got through. And so we had a lot of cleanup to do. And a couple of husbands came and helped us with that effort. But after that, we were looking for ways to help anywhere we could. So Dr. agreed to open the office up if anybody could get here, any volunteer, any first responder, anyone who needed a dental emergency or anything dental related, we would see them for free, no questions asked, just take care of them. We put that out via social media. We did have a few people come in. We had people respond who were Marines. We had people who came in who were police officers, firefighters who had suffered some type of injury or problem and I would tell you the best source of communication through this whole ordeal to get the message out about the availability for help was from my team to the community 
and all the different interactions and, and personal uh, connections they had, we actually once could get to our team members who were affected, we were there the very next day. I had two that had three feet of water in their house, and I think we, we, we kind of div divided and conquered, so to speak. I know a lot of us went to one home and went to another home, and we did whatever it took all day from morning to night to clean their houses of everything that was ruined. Carpet, tile, wood floors, uh, furniture, sheetrock, insulation, uh, everything that needed to be gutted and put to the curb is what we did. And I personally went around with, with two other people and checked on every single person to make sure that they were okay. I visited every single team member in my office who was affected at their house, if I could get to it. By the end of that week, I had done that to make sure they were okay. I told them, don't worry about payroll. Don't worry about anything you need. Just let me know. As long as you let me know what you need, we'll be happy to help. And everybody else did the same thing. I'll tell you, my team took it upon themselves to prepare food and gather supplies and anything and everything in their house, blankets, pillows, all the things you take for granted on an everyday basis. Hmm. We, we got that out to our team members. We got that out to our team members' families. And whatever else we had left over, we were just out in the community helping other people or helping churches or helping people that we didn't even know. And that went on individually and as a group for the next week. It happened every day. We took the entire week. We could not work. No one was even thinking about teeth at the time. Hmm. But we were always available in case there was an emergency. And we were able to get that taken care of as well for people who needed us on a dental sense. But the rest of the team was so uh, generous in, in their personal belongings, their personal donations, their time, their sweat equity, everything it took to make that happen. Greg, it was a phenomenal effort. And again, you see the best in people when everybody has one cause to support and love and nurture and help one another get back on their feet. It's funny, they, it was commonly said, if you were a flood victim, you were, you, you, you were not happy, obviously. It was very stressful. But people who were not flood victims felt guilty. They had this remorse. They had this remorse that they didn't get flooded. They felt bad that they were okay. So they took that energy and they put it as much as possible to the people who needed help right away, even total strangers, just to get all that done. It was phenomenal. Probably the most memorable experience of my life to date wow because of everything involved so we always say um hope for the best um but expect the worst if you were giving advice to the rest of us for um uh, how we would prepare ourselves for <laughs> something i mean we're not going to have that hope not did you hope not but are there things that you learned that you're doing differently, that you're preparing differently for that kind of experience or a disaster of some kind of experience? You know, I don't think anybody can really prepare for that. Uh, you can, you can, you can do certain things to prepare. You can talk amongst your team. You can organize a, 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 a plan, an emergency response plan. You, you can do many things like that, but certain things just come out of the blue, Greg. Some things you cannot account for, you cannot expect, and some things you would love to do, but the timing was not 
allowing you to do the certain things you want it to do. Sure. What we've learned from this is we need to have a better system of communicating as much as possible on what we do if this happens again and, and what things we look back we would do differently. I don't think we would do a thing differently other than take the, the weather alerts a little bit more uh, <laughs> at heed. Thank goodness neither one of my offices was terribly affected. We did not flood, but we did have some water damage in both offices from window and wet rain penetration and, and roof stuff. But all that was just you know cosmetics and a and, and little bit of damage to certain things that don't cost much. We, we would know now that we've got to check on each other sooner. We need to have an organized effort as soon as possible to help others in need when there are crises like this. Everybody has had, uh, it's been tough down here in Houston, Texas the past year with Harvey and some snowstorms. And uh, we had a school shooting not too far from my house, not too long ago, 10 miles from my house in Santa Fe. It's amazing how the, the community comes together and there's just certain things you can't do any more than you can possibly treat every human being uh, the same way you would want to be treated. As a team, Greg, um, I'm proud of my team. They really went above and beyond. They, they just, they, they did what I would have done and they didn't look for a leader to do it. Each of them became leaders in their own sense to go get out and take care of as many people as they possibly could selfishly, just total selfishly. I mean, they just, I mean, I say selflessly. They really did not hesitate to do anything and everything possible um, to make that happen. It was incredible. Well, you're an example to all of us. Well, I appreciate it. I, I didn't want to do this example <laughs> for you. Um, I would tell you that hurricanes can be very scary uh, floods are terrible. Wind is not a big deal, but, but floods are terrible because it just destroys so much property and it takes, it takes the spirit out of a lot of people. People are still today in June 2018, they're still, they're still putting their lives together, they're still putting their homes together. And uh, it was catastrophic on many levels down here in Houston and in all of Texas area that was affected. And I appreciate the love and the team was very appreciative of your support and the many things that the community did for us to help enable other people to be helped. It was quite extraordinary and we are so forever, forever grateful for everything the Crown Council members did uh, to, to help us through this entirely uh, terrible time. Uh, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, as they say. Yeah. David, if, if you were to describe maybe what you learned about what you saw from others from a leadership standpoint, is, is there anything that you gained or, you know, the people that you were with that you could share, um, like principles or uh, a story you learned about a great leader or, or uh, something that might inspire people from that, that kind of a standpoint? The, the best example of leadership that I saw come out was our superintendent. He had just been named superintendent a month before this happened. Oh boy. I had known him for a while, but I had served on the school board eight years and we had just decided on him. So at this shelter that we had, and for one of the community's leaders in the, he 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 was the best incredible 
bold model of leadership that I had seen. And I'll, and I'll break that down for you. He was very thoughtful. He, he knew that he had a lot of emotional people, a lot of distressed situations. He had encountered people that he had not ever thought he would be managing in his schools, 96 nursing home victims in, in his school. He, he rationally, thoughtfully listened. He touched and he basically took every single story and every single problem and he methodically, carefully managed it. He did it very calmly. He did it very graciously. He had moments of prayer. Um, he, was, he was very much a very calm beacon of light in this whole thing. From, the, from taking care of these people who are total strangers to limiting all negative activity in our shelter to encouraging kids to sing campfire songs to the nursing home residents. <laughs> you couldn't ask for a more surreal thing in your life. And it all stemmed from his leadership of calmness and, and strong uh, communication. And just, he sat down with the leaders that he could get a hold of and communicated well. It was great communication. It was great, thoughtful decision-making. It was not rash. It was not reactive. He, he really took the worst of what was going on and made everybody's decision on helping these people so, so incredibly great. To the point of this, Greg, and we got this often. Say to us, oh my God, you guys are the most friendly, incredible. This is, if, I, if I ever drown again, I want to come to this shelter. You're singing songs. Do you guys have hotel rooms here? It was five-star customer service in their shelter. That people were so pleasantly happy with Thad's leadership of positivity, you know, looking at the best in things and keeping everybody up, keeping everybody hopeful. The hope and the safety was paramount for him, and the calmness was paramount for him. But to this day, he is legend for that entire experience of that shelter for four days. Hence, we're writing a book about it because it was very powerful, very powerful. I have this vision of you sitting knee to knee with a dementia patient, trying to find out who they were and who their family was and how you could help them. Exactly. I mean, uh, I, God bless you. We and did that. We had, we had one gentleman we had a hard time communicating with and, um, he was difficult because he had he had seizures he was uh incoherent he did not know anything there were many patients many stores like this greg on an individual basis it was it was it was completely surreal you know i would have never expected to be in that situation even if i dreamt it up it was, <laughs> and you never wish for it again i'll never wish for that again we really <laughs> were concerned for those for those adults and those those patients and uh, we didn't know what was going to happen because FEMA could, could not get to us. Uh. We could not send them anywhere else. Every other nursing home facility in the area was flooded or already full to capacity. And um, th that was the biggest emphasis that we did not want any of those 96 per nursing home patients to get worse. 
Yeah. Knew that time was critical because they had no medication, no charts. It was a clean Blake slate. And I would say thanks to Thad's leadership and others that came along with our EMS director and so forth, we made it happen with the local volunteers, the local professionals who are nurses and doctors who came in by boat or other to finally sort it all out. And by the end of 48 hours, every patient had a chart. Every patient had a description of who they were best we could make out and some memory from the nursing home people that came finally two days later helped us figure this thing out and those people were safely transported all the way to Huntsville Texas about two out two about two hours away boy wow three days later and one gentleman one gentleman did pass away the one we were most concerned with he, he passed away on the bus the FEMA bus um, on the way to Huntsville but it was incredible. Even the kids that go to our school who were attending Sam Houston State University in Huntsville got word from our high school students that they were coming with these nursing home kids, these, these patients. And so the FEMA guys had no clue how to navigate Houston because they were shipped in from all over the place. These buses from Phoenix and El Paso and wherever they could bring them in they weren't sure how to navigate Houston to get them from the south side of Houston to the very far north side of Houston. So two of our high school kids in a truck, a big heavy high-rise pickup truck, led the way, almost like the cavalry, and guided the, the six buses of these nursing home patients to Huntsville. <laughs> and, they, and they communicated ahead, so when they got there, a fraternity at Sam Houston State University that had a lot of friends with high school kids met the bus and escorted each and every one of those patients off the bus into the nursing home facility. Wow. Stories were incredible, just incredible what happened on so many levels and so many people and so many kids. Um, it was incredible, totally incredible. I'd go on and on. I could well, go on and on. <laughs> Well, it's like what you said. I mean, it brings out it brings out the best in people. These 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 disasters, and you'd never wish it on anybody. But at the same time, how inspiring to watch. And I remember Greg receiving phone calls from you and communicating uh, here at the office. He, I've got another update. It's time. It's time. Another update. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, it was. Yeah, I mean, you had. I've written a lot of these things down because you don't want to lose the stories of the human connection, the, the spirit of every single person I met was just incredible. Some were heartbreaking stories and some were kids who were out rescuing pets. Just so happens they're as they're rescuing pets, this old couple, for lack of better understanding, just drive straight into the creek and they nearly drown. If it wasn't for these high school, two high school boys who rescued them, they would have been drowned. And they they brought them in. I, we had we had one old couple who drove, trying to re get get out of the situation, and they they couldn't make it, and they, they they lost their vehicle in the flood. They actually managed to get back to their house, and somehow some way, they they got into the attic of their home. Well, some high school kids ended up hearing their cries for help, and finally got them rescued. And once the water went down, those same high school kids, about 15 of them, 
went back to that house and helped that couple tear everything out of their house and clean everything up. Wow. And they, and the kids did this, you know, left and right adults did too, but these high school kids just did it and did it and did it. And we organized our athletes and whoever wanted to come to go house by house, random, whoever, and just take one street at a time to do whatever they could. Well, this one couple that I was telling you about, they got rescued from their attic of their house. They were in their eighties. Their, their, their daughter was so heartfelt by that, by that story of these high school kids who took it upon themselves, not only to save her parents' life, but to go back later on and rip out everything in their house and clean it out and, and manage all that, that terrible muck. Uh, she actually formed a scholarship for these 15 kids, these high school kids, oh. and paid personally for this. And she came to our high school during our celebrations of awards and so forth at the end of the school year. And she told the story, how she perceived how this went down for her parents. And she just could not get over the fact that these kids did this for her parents, total random strangers, and went back to take care of them and fed them and offered them to have a place to stay. Because obviously no one could get into Houston for three or four days. She was so heartfelt by that. She gave each of them a $2,000 scholarship. No kidding. No kidding. Incredible. She lives in Denver, Colorado. And she says, I will do this every year now. Huh. Recognition of what this high school, these kids did for this, for these, for, for my parents. Brings because out the best in everybody. Brings out the best in everybody, even from Denver, Colorado. I mean, the support was phenomenal. We had so many people in town helping. Our town, the neighboring towns, everybody was incredible. We had athletes coming in. I mean, you name it. They were there. Yeah. It was just a phenomenal response of just let's get down to work and let's get it done. And let's let's rebuild. We don't need the government to come in and tell us, you know, wait for this and wait for that. I get it that some people need the FEMA money to collect, but sure. Nobody was going to stop and 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 not help anybody who needed help. That's still going on today. We still have groups of volunteers of people still cleaning up and rebuilding homes even today. Really? Yeah. yeah. I was with Natalie, your uh, associate over the weekend, and she was telling us all about they're still organizing, you know, weekend cleanup projects and dumpsters and everything's still going on. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, there's still muck on sides of the road that people still doing things to get things cleaned up. Most things are cleaned up. I think this is just leftover stuff that they just could not get out of their house physically or did not share that they needed help. Wow. But that Harvey debris is still being picked up as we speak. Well, David, we, uh, we truly think you um, deserved the team of the year. We were, we we're grateful to watch your team win as we watched the voting come in. And the Crown Council team was um, so great, so deserving, and you know, you exemplify all the leaders that we want Crown Council members to be. You know, the best of the best. So, thanks for for joining us. And um, any any final words, Greg or David, before we sign off? Well, for my end, Dave, uh, thanks for all you did for so many. You do, as Stu said, exemplify everything that we preach about doing good. Uh, and uh, I think that's one of the things I know after doing this for so many years is, uh, you know, when the chips are down and you really want somebody to help you, uh, 
uh, that this is a group that loves and shares, and you exemplify that every day. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, winning the team of the year was a very emotional time for us, uh, especially having going through all the things we've had with our with our team and our patients and their families. Um, we're a hardworking, true it's about all of us. It's not about one individual person. Uh, we we really, really appreciate it. And we're very grateful for all the support and for all the accolades of that, of that moment in San Antonio. There was a lot of fun. And um, we look forward and we, we hang on that, that moment uh, every day. We, we really, truly believe that the best day you could have is just taking care of people. And it could be in the dental office or it could be in their homes when there's a natural disaster and that spirit never changes it should never change you just do what you've got to do to help save each and every one person as those things come along and so it's all about the people it's it's not about the buck it's not about the ego it's really about genuinely connecting with people and taking care of them each and every one each and every day Thanks for sharing, David. Thank you, Greg. I really appreciate it. You guys are great. Look forward to seeing you guys again, and um, y'all stay dry. All right. right. Thanks, David. Bye-bye.